Hi. It's wonderful to be among you students. Um, for one thing, I, I like to remind myself it was not that long ago that I was your age and how I would have loved to have been at a place like this. I have met a number of students tonight, some of whom have told me that I was a question on the AP exam. <laughs> Another who said that they read me when they were in the seventh grade. And you have to imagine how this makes me feel. This makes me feel very, very old. <laughs> this makes me feel that, um, uh, reminds me that when I was your age, that the authors that I read were already dead. In fact, I am often reminded of my mortality when, um, ever since I've been published. I once had a student who came to me uh, was doing some chores at my house. She was not an honor student like many of you. But she asked me what I did for a living, and I said that I was a writer, a contemporary author, or uh, an author. And she said to me, a contemporary author? And at the time, you know, I was a fairly new writer, so I had to think about the question. And I realized that if I were not a contemporary author, I'd be the alternative, which is dead. Um, I've been asked actually a number of questions um, reminding me of my mortality oftentimes in, in audiences. Um, people who ask me things like, what would you like written on your tombstone? Or um, what books would you like people to remember you by? But I think no, um, there was no grimmer reminder of my mortality than what happened one day a few years ago when I was at yet another reading doing... Uh, at a bookstore, and somebody was doing a very long and lofty introduction for me. I was waiting in the back, ready to go on, and I looked to my side at this uh, a rack of very familiar-looking yellow and black booklets. And they were, of course, something... Yes, they were cliff notes. And I, I thought to myself that not too long ago, I, too, a former literature student, had used those cliff notes to write incisive papers on Ulysses, Lord Jim, and Hamlet without reading a single word of the original text. <laughs> you have to imagine my shame as I stood there about to read from my own published work. And so, I, of course, I gave silent apology to my fellow authors, Jim Joyce, Joe Conrad, and Bill Shakespeare. May they rest in peace. And then as I was looking at those booklets, I saw another familiar title. And it was The Joy Luck Club. And I picked that up and I looked at it and I said, but I'm not dead yet. <laughs> I started flipping through it and I saw a biography of the author, Amy Tan, that is myself. And I saw that the, all these chapter blow-by-blows and, um, you know, how my book had been autopsied and all these wonderful uh, intentions that I had placed into the book. For example, um, it said that what I meant by invisible force was to talk about the power of immigrants or the power of mothers or the power of women. And I thought, this is really wonderful because at the time that I was writing it, I had just simply borrowed a phrase of the invisible force from my mother. And it came from an expression she often used with me, 
which in Chinese went like this, Fang Piba Chou, Chou Piba Fang, which roughly translated means, don't make a big stink over nothing, just shut up. <laughs> and which if you were to do the literal translation would be this, the loud farts don't smell, it's the silent one, the, the quiet ones that are, are deadly. Meaning you can go a lot farther by not saying anything. Now that's the kind of insight that you will not see in Cliff Notes. And I hope you will remember this as you go on to college. Now what also surprised me is that it seemed in the Cliff Notes that my life as a writer was predestined somehow. It was all predetermined. You could see this in the biography. And I thought it was rather surprising because looking at how I was dissected and my book was dissected, none of this was familiar to me. None of the wonderful things that were said about my book or the wonderful things about me, apart from the fact that I dated losers. I, in fact, did not know that I would be a writer for a very, very long time. I did not consider myself a writer until, in fact, after I was published. I did not grow up dreaming that I was a writer, in part because I didn't think that I had the ability to describe things as lovely as, for example, clouds moving across the sky, that I did not know how to express emotions that I had, for example, the feeling you have when you hope for something but you don't let anybody know and then it doesn't happen. I always felt that there was there were writers who knew how to do that, and because I didn't, it never occurred to me that I would become a writer. But I've always had a love for words. I had an ear for them, and I think that I had an ear for them because I grew up hearing many different languages. I heard Mandarin, for example, which is the language that my parents used with one another as their common language. I heard Cantonese, which is the, father, the, the language my father used with some of his friends and which he would use to discuss some of the, the things that had happened to him in China. I heard Shanghainese, which is what my mother used with some of her friends, and often that was used to gossip about people who did not make it out of China. I heard also biblical English, the thee, thou, and um, thy of my father as he gave his sermons because he was a Baptist minister. And I heard the language of my mother, which was, I suppose, something you could describe as broken English, fractured English, for lack of a better word. And I think it was that language that was the most influential for me as a writer. It was the language that I was ashamed with. It was the language in which she said things that I did not believe because if she said it wrong, then the ideas were wrong. And yet, it is the language that has permeated me the most, has brought up the questions that I have in life. I'd like to skip about 25 years later, and I am now trying to write my first book. I tried to use words that were fancy, I had never been a student who did well in English on aptitude tests and the SAT. 
I did well in math because math is precise. I did not do well in English because English is a language full of nuances, and my nuances were never standardized the way that others might have been according to those tests. And so as I wrote, I tried to think of a standardized life that I could have had. And the stories never came to be because they were not felt. I wanted to be published like most writers. Those stories failed and so I gave up on the idea that I would ever be able to find words fancy enough. I decided that I would write simply for myself. And for that I decided to write about a mother and a daughter who didn't understand one another. I decided that I would try to capture the language of that mother and for that I chose a language that was twofold. One that was an internal language that was beautiful and clear and lucid and was able to express all the hopes and desires that she ever wished for her daughter. And the other was broken and unable to express very much except anger and disappointment. I chose language for a language for the daughter as well. And that was an English in which she was able to hide her feelings behind. I wrote this book, and I was very surprised when it was published. Soon after that, I, I remember getting a review. And the reviewer said, it's too bad that Amy Tan did not choose to give her mothers the full muscle of language that they were not able to express in intelligent ways what they believed and felt and had gone through. And here she had an opportunity to overcome stereotypes of mothers who speak in broken English. And I said to myself, oh my God, that's, that's right. You know, I should have done that. I should have made them powerful women with this invisible strength. And then I said to myself, no. That's, if my mother had been able to speak that way, I never would have felt that shame. I never would have had those questions. I never would have come to the realization later on how powerful her words truly were. But it was not the fancy words that give the words their power. It is the heart behind the words. And that I think is the true power behind many words. It is the intentions that you find for yourselves. And nobody can give that to you. Those expectations, those hopes, nobody can give that to you. You have to find that for yourself. That's what I learned in writing my stories. That's something I don't think you will read in Cliff Notes. I, it's my hope that as you go forward into college that you will be writers in various ways, writers of your own stories. It's not to say that you need to publish those stories. But the idea, I think, of being a writer is to ask those questions, is to face those confusions, is to look at the things that are most uncomfortable, and to realize that there are no general truths. 
the truths are very specific and you have to find them for yourselves. That's what I think is the power of words and I wish you luck in finding them. Thank you.